you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome everyone to Bare Naked Money. Today, we are talking about two things that neither Colin or I are qualified to talk about, and that's divorce. And some would say that Colin and I are in a relationship, somewhat of a couple ourselves, and we enjoy each other's company. We've enjoyed each other's company for multiple weeks and lived together for multiple weeks over the last couple of years. And hey, we're still here, Colin. Oh, absolutely. But you haven't actually married a woman yet, and I'm still married to the same one I married 30 years ago. So... Yeah, we're going to talk about things other people tell us stories about now. So that's right. As I said, totally unqualified, unqualified to talk about it. So, first things first, Colin, you've been through this conversation with multiple individuals who have been divorced over time. What's the first thing that comes to mind when somebody comes to you as their financial advisor and says, you know what, it's not working out my relationship, we're going to split? Well, yeah, unfortunately, I have had this conversation probably hundreds of times over the years because it's very common to have the conversation and actually go through with divorcing. And there's a lot of stuff to step through, but typically in a relationship, there's, you know, one person in a relationship will have more responsibility for certain aspects of things than the other. And, you know, when you go to break that up, everybody's going to find a new identity and that can be challenging. And you're trying to do that at a time when emotions are very raw. And so it's very difficult to find your bearings. But part of trying to figure out is rather than the ideal of what you think you are as, as far as somebody who makes monetary decisions, where you really are in the moment and trying to get your feet on the ground and, and figuring out what needs to get accomplished. So if you're the money dominant person, then maybe you're, you're a little further ahead, but not always. Uh, sometimes the person who's figuring it out fresh for the first time who doesn't have any preconceived notions is actually further ahead because again, they're more open to a new reality rather than trying to cling to a pattern that was there before. So the, the first thing that comes to mind, Josh, is that it's a very emotionally raw time. And it's a time when people are really struggling for their identity. And from a strict, and again, all of our advice today is strictly monetary related. It's strictly financial. It's strictly when I talk about, you know, identify your, your, what your, what your type is, we're talking financially, like, how are you going to go through the world and carry yourself in making financial decisions? So that, that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind that you have to, to work your way through. So it's a very emotional time for people and often emotional times, not the best decision-making times, but is there something that you would look at that you think is maybe something that's a bit more urgent, something that people want to look at a little bit more proactive? Well, see, it's, it's interesting when people are going through trauma like this, there are those who want to list and they want to check things off and that's how they deal with things. Those that kind of personality type, you kind of, you can proceed maybe a little bit more quickly as far as taking steps. Now, I always encourage people to take their time because again, it's an emotionally fraught time and things are going to evolve over time. There can be very important issues and dates and things of that nature that need to be addressed. And that's where you seek professional advice and financial. If you're in a situation where the relationship has afraid to the point that people are using money to punish each other, separating accounts and things of that nature, maybe there's some urgency to those things. But there are a lot of things that you can take a few weeks, a couple of months to reflect on 
and make decisions on, but it's really important. And this is going to come up over and over again, have a good lawyer, have a good financial advisor and understand the difference between the two. And then you'll understand how much time you could take. Uh, but if your style is that you really want to plow through things pretty quickly, then that's fine too. But try to avoid having somebody put artificial outside pressure on you. Don't, my brother told me that I need to get this done. Or my, my sister told me that I got to get this done. Shut that out because they'll, those, those pieces of advice and many things professional are, are not as valuable as a professional who is, has got some perspective to bring to the table. Yeah. I'm going to challenge you a little bit there. Cause you said, have a good lawyer. I've heard about couples working through this without a lawyer. And I think it, it's probably the minority, but you don't need a good lawyer. Lawyer's going to cost you money, but you do need to have a good financial sense if you're going down that path without that lawyer in place. So there are situations, could be amicable, could be, you know, the financial circumstances are fairly comfortable on both sides where you don't need that legal professional. But I guess if you're unsure, we would probably err on the side of caution and, and have that legal professional in place. Josh, you're right. I mean, we're jumping into the point because we've titled this divorce. Right. So we're jumping in thinking that's where it is, but you're right. If there's stress in a relationship, you, there's other ways to mediate it long before you get to this stage. But I will, you know, caution out of an abundance of experience that something that starts amicable can turn in a heartbeat and be completely surprising to one member of the couple. It's one thing to say, yeah, this is all amicable. As long as everybody's saying it at the same time in the same room, nodding up and down, then you might be right. But there are opportunities. Again, it's very emotionally fraught. So it could turn in a heartbeat. So again, having professional advice in your corner and making sure that you don't put yourself in jeopardy. Again, I thought better safe than sorry is a bit of a watchword. Yeah, sure. The cost of legal advice might be a drop in the bucket when you consider the overall financial picture, right? And your mental health. How much is your mental health really worth? That's right. Not to say that a lawyer is going to help that for sure, but. Yeah, you, you, but you need to find good professionals. And we've talked about this in the past, Josh. When I say get a lawyer, it's not just to go through the phone book and pick one. They're all good. It's, yeah, that's a big deal. And the, and the, the right choice there can make a huge difference in, in how a transaction like this can go. You're looking for somebody who's going to give you advice, not just do a transaction. It's, it, you don't want like the whole thing about getting tax advice. You don't want somebody who's going to just go do a return for you as a transaction and not ever read the numbers they're putting in or, or, or think to give you advice. So you're looking for somebody who's going to provide you advice. And because there's so much divorce out there, there are a lot of lawyers who specialize in it. So there probably should be a good number of choices to, to pick from. Mm-hmm. In the smallest of communities, the, one of the largest legal things is family law. You don't have to be in a major center to find a a lawyer who's got experience in dealing with these kinds of issues. Right. So you alluded to it before there, Colin, introduced the idea of division of assets and what it means for the the financial situation. So maybe let's start by running through some of the the assets, the financial assets that get divided. Yeah, this can get exhaustive, but what what I'll do is I'll start at 30,000 feet, which is where I tend to, the initial premise is that there will be some kind of an equal division of assets. Now, again, that, as soon as you say that allows somebody goes pre-marriage access, yet, and then lawyers will advise you on the, the, the proper split, but yeah, there's a number there somewhere, whether it's, we're going to exclude an asset and everything else is 50, 50, or it's going to go 60, 40 or whatever the math is. From a financial perspective, I encourage clients to take a look and say, okay, let's put all of the assets in a pile. 
and then you instead of dividing each asset, maybe I take this asset, you take that asset. Maybe there's a better way to do it. Now, this is assuming that there's a bit of amicability at the table. People are willing to have that conversation for, but it doesn't have to be necessarily each asset gets split. Sometimes it can be, you get the house, I get the RSP, you get the pension, I get the boat. There, there can be different ways to go through that, provided there's some level of conversation going on. But the other point you start to get into is being married has legal implications to the ownership of certain assets. Sure. Pension plans come to mind. If your spouse is in a pension plan, by pension law, you have a stake in that pension. And that is something that has to be legally and addressed and signed off on, on a go forward basis. So some of that's going to rely on the pension plan that you're in and what spousal rights are ingrained in that. Because again, Canada's got 11 different sets of pension rules, depending on which jurisdiction you happen to be in. I'm not even sure. Is it 11? Is it is it 12 or 13? Did the territories have their own? I don't, I don't even know that, Josh. I, I, I was just wondering how you came up with the 11 number. Was it 10 provinces plus a federal legislation? Yeah. Yeah, or? 10, I, I, I know yeah. there's 10 provinces plus federal. But as I said, it was, I'm not sure if the territories have a separate set of legislation. Yeah. I'm going to go look that up. Yeah, that's something for another day. <laughs> but um, so, so not only are there all these different pension legislations, but there's all this different divorce law legislation as well, because that's done at the provincial level as well. So we're getting into a pretty fun bag of tricks right now where we're talking about potentially having pensions that are covering multiple jurisdictions and divorces in different jurisdictions. So that's why we're not here to provide specific legal advice and why it's often helpful to have a, a professional in the room because this stuff gets really muddy really fast. And a funny antidote. I have had the experience where a court has ruled that a pension split occur that was illegal based on the pension legislation. So the court was in conflict with the pension legislation and it, they just said, oh, now what do we do? <laughs> Could the courts telling me I have to do this, but the pension won't do it because it's against. So again, you can end up at all kinds of idiosyncratic little corners of the world. Don't, don't think this is simple going, but those aren't the only assets. Registered assets can have similar, like a old locked in RSP that which used to be pension RSPs, things of that nature. They can have an overriding expectation that is again, at least an expectation. But again, when you're negotiating the split of assets, sometimes you can trade off those and get the pieces you really want. Yeah. And, you know, really good lawyers will help guide you through stuff. And, and you said something earlier that I think is also important to highlight. It's that marriage means something. Common law also means something. And that's potentially different than what marriage means. So the division of property rights amongst a relationship breakdown are different, whether you're married or common law. So that's something to keep in mind. And when you run through the list of the assets, really what the general rule is that you're drawing a line when you came into the relationship, when that relationship was established into what sort of each individual is bringing into that relationship. And you're drawing a line when that relationship broke down and there's supposed to be an even split or fair split of the assets that were accumulated between that, that first line and that second line. So that's ultimately at a very high level, what's trying to happen. Now that, as you said, includes pension, includes registered accounts, tax free savings accounts, non-registered investments, the house, the boat, the car, the cottage, 
the pets, all of these things go into that mix. And government benefits. You also have your CPP entitlement, which again is considered a pension, just a different kind of pension. People sometimes forget that one because they're not, they don't necessarily think about it if they're 45 years old and, and divorcing that, hey, there's a, a lack of CPP entitlement here that needs to go on the table as, as far as what the assets are for a potential split. So you know, again, that's another hoop that, that, that gets in the mix. And then you go, then there's the child custody, you know, as to who gets the children, then who gets the obligation for the children and, and all of that thing. Then again, having been at the table long enough and things to be aware of that you probably didn't think were possible. I've had clients who were sued by their children for support to go to school in a completely unreasonable way that the parent as a parent says, well, that's stupid. No, I'm not going to do that for you. And the court said, oh, yes, you are. So there's, you think that a divorce is an issue between husband and wife or two life partners, but the children also have rights and they can assert those rights in a legal setting as well. And again, if the divorce is not all that amicable, one parent could be coaching the children to beat <laughs> the other parent with on issues like this. So again, this goes back to have a good lawyer, make sure that, you know, you've covered off your bases the best you can, but Josh, we're missing the most important asset that has to be you know, split when a couple decides to go separate ways. And what is that Colin? Who gets the financial advisor? You know, cause again, <laughs> if you're both used to dealing with a financial advisor, you may not both be comfortable dealing with that person on a go forward basis. And I completely respect that a good professional financial advisor should be able to provide advice to both sides for sure. There's, there's very good expectations in that regard, but sometimes you're looking for a fresh start and maybe you never really liked that financial advisor all the way along and you want to go get a second opinion. So again, something else to you know, I've never had the, the courts tell me who I was allowed to talk to before, but I do know there's been conversations between two people as to who gets to keep me. Yeah. yeah. Well, a good financial advisor worth their weight in gold. I'm not sure you're worth that much, Colin, but thank you. Could be. Appreciate that. <laughs> could be. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that as a shot against my weight. Yeah, <laughs> you should. A <laughs> uh, couple of things that I'll, I'll mention just from the, the custody of the children, there may be child support payments as well. So there's not only a division of assets, but there also is potentially an equalization of income in some way, shape or form. And one spouse may be required to make child support payments to the other. Child support payments are not tax deductible, but on the other hand, spousal support payments, if you're making any, are tax deductible. So the person making the spousal support payments gets a tax deduction and the spouse that's receiving those, former spouse that's receiving those spousal supports payments, it's actual taxable income for them. So there are some tax nuances here to think about as well. No, for sure. And, and this brings up another really good point that years in the trenches have taught me. Do everything you can to completely separate. If things are amicable, that's fantastic. I'm very happy for you. If you're talking all the time and you're going to remain a good friend and you don't feel it necessary to really split everything, but please do because feelings change and you don't, we've had situations where somebody gets a share of the pension whenever they decide to retire. All right. So now you're locked to your spouse and whatever retirement decision they may or may not make in the future in order to get your percentage at, at that time. And that's just uncomfortable because again, you're forcing yourself to stay connected to somebody else's life that you've made a cho choice to move away from. So you've got kids, RESPs are a great example. 
So if you choose to have a joint RESP for your children, now you're tied at the hip to your spouse, where you're going to have to both sign the same documents, disclose information to each other. You're going to put yourself in an uncomfortable spot. So anything that you can do to completely sever the need to talk or negotiate or be aware of each other's finances is absolutely crucial, especially if things are amicable. Make sure you completely sever every tie that's possible to sever. If you want to keep talking, fantastic. You want to share this information in the future, I am absolutely tickled for you. Just when you have the opportunity, completely sever it so that it becomes a choice from that moment on and you don't get caught in a relationship that turns less amicable over time. Yeah, now we've talked about splitting up of assets. Now there are a couple of ways, Colin, to actually protect assets preemptively, not after the fact, not after you decide that you're getting separated, but you can preemptively going into a relationship, protect assets from potential division uh, upon marital breakdown. Wait, so talking about divorce, let's set up your next relationship. So yeah, you're right. There's you know, the ominous prenup and nothing says romance like a prenup that some people will go down the path uh, of, and it's, again, that's a very personal choice. And there can be different ways of doing that and different types of prenup. Again, seeking good legal advice is important because you want something that's going to stand up. Because again, just because you've decided something doesn't mean it's can't be legally enforced. Yeah, there's, you know, business assets can be treated a little differently. You can, you know, an inheritance is treated a little bit differently. So again, there's lots of things that you'd be aware of to set yourself up. And again, just protect your moat, if you will, if you're so inclined. And not all of it has to be really sticky and icky from a, a relationship perspective. But again, when you're going, when you develop a relationship with that lawyer or those professionals, then you want to make sure that you're setting yourself up with enough information to on a go forward basis too. Yeah. And you mentioned inheritance generally not considered a marital asset, as long as it's left in the individual's name who inherited it. Same thing with gifts. If your parents or grandparents give you a gift, you leave it in your own name, generally not considered a marital asset. So not susceptible to split amongst or upon a marriage breakdown. And you say generally, and I'm going to add specifically, that's not legal advice. Yes. So yes, please do. He's, he's giving you a question you should ask of a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, you're absolutely right, Josh, generally. But again, if you want a specific answer, then you need to seek legal advice for sure. Yeah. And listen, while we're at it, when you're talking to your lawyer, make sure your lawyers run what they want to do past of the, your financial advisor, because lawyers did really good in law school. They argue really good. Their math sucks and they may know the rules on how things are supposed to be split, but they've got no idea as to the reality of what that means. Yeah. So, you know, run what your lawyer is proposing past your financial person and let your financial person have a conversation with your lawyer and hopefully the lawyer's in a, in a mood to listen because again, those working with a financial advisor and a lawyer can put you acres ahead as far as understanding what you're doing and making sure you're making the most of it. Yeah. Colin saying that a little bit tongue in cheek there. We know not every lawyer has shitty math. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. <laughs> I'm still waiting to meet him. Yeah. Funny story though. We, we had a separation agreement for one of our clients here and they laid out some life insurance requirements for the spouses that after the separation. And I looked at these requirements and I was like, this actually isn't possible the way that they laid this out. So this is why it's important that these two professionals pass some ideas back and forth between one another, because 
once in a while, we'll probably say something where a lawyer says, well, that's just not possible from a legal perspective and vice versa. A lawyer is going to put something on the table and just say that doesn't exist from a financial perspective. So. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it's, yeah, insurance is actually another really good one because again, we deal with this all the time, putting insurance in place. And sometimes you people start trying to put together joint policies where one person owns a policy on their partner, which is all well and good. It doesn't matter hill of beans up until they're no longer partners. And now you've got one person who's got control over policy and they're not talking to the person who's insured anymore. And the person who's insured would really like to have control of that policy. So again, not that we assume every client's going to break up, but there's a chance. So we tend to give insurance advice on the guys. That's everybody have their own policy, just in case we all decide to go in a different direction. And again, it's not being necessarily macabre, but it's not that we know you're going to break up. It's just. It's just a real small little thing that can make a huge difference. Cause again, the number of clients that I'm dealing with are one person owns it, the other one's insured on it and they're not talking to each other. And every time you try to do something, it's reinventing the wheel. And it's just really frustrating for all parties involved, especially me. And listen, I just want to conclude all of this by telling everybody who's listening to this, our bias is to move forward in a productive way to put our clients in the best possible financial position. And if you're that kind of people, we're your people. If you want to use your money to bludgeon your former partner with, and you're looking to have a really acrimonious uh, conversation about how to punish somebody, we're not your people. We can't do that. And that's, we use our math for the powers of good, not for the powers of evil. Because as much as everybody who's married on this call will tell us that they're never going to get divorced, statistically speaking, about half of you will. So not to leave it on a bad note, sour note. But we're just math people. We just look at the numbers. There's a lot that a financial advisor can bring to the table in helping you pre-plan a divorce, talk about the, the possibility of divorce, and then maybe executing on a divorce or separation if it happens. That might be a bit too morbid. No, I think it was perfect. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth Inc. IA Private Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth Inc. operates. Based on observation, it seems that the time an investor is most likely to move his or her portfolio to a new advisor is when the old advisor dies. Let us go on record as saying that having a pulse is not a great reason to trust someone with your entire financial future. Stop putting your life in the hands of stillbreathingwealthplanners.com and call us.